Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Warmer, probably low. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Our good friend Danny Vietti of CBS Sports, along with the Wake and Rake Podcast, is going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at some of these division races. What is going wrong with some of these teams in the National League, like the Padres and the Phillies? We're actually going to be taking a little bit more of a look at that series as well. So we're going to have some fun with it with Danny in the second segment, just taking a look at everything that's going on in baseball. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday and a little something you like to call. Touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I realized I already made an error. I said I was coming at you from lovely Las Vegas. I'm still in Greenville, Wisconsin. I'm here for my 10-year class reunion. So that is a faux pas by myself. I do apologize to the great state of Wisconsin. I'll be back in Las Vegas tomorrow. But with that said, still out here in Greenville, Wisconsin. And speaking of which, 
We've got a lot that is going on, including a win from that team from the great state of Wisconsin. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing from Major League Baseball on Saturday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Christian Yelich had six RBI and a pair of home runs as the Brewers got a 9-6 win over the Washington Nationals. They had lost back-to-back games as relatively sizable favorites. And things did wind up getting airy in the ninth inning as the uh, Washington Nationals were able plate a pair, but they were hoping for a little bit more out of the bullpen along with Paulo Espinel. Espinel gives up three runs in four and a third innings, including one of those home runs to Mr. Yelich. Glaive Klobatis winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. You wind up having Andres Machado and Ryan Erper combined for two scores, but Javi Guerra winds up giving up another one of those home runs to Yelich, who had six RBI Five runs, four of which were earned, given up in a third of an inning by him. You wind up having Jeffrey Rodriguez close out the game. And I will say, you had Yadiel Hernandez give this team his sixth home run season. As for the Brewers, Eric Lauer, not great, not terrible, gives up three runs over the course of four and a third innings. Jake Cousins, he winds up giving you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Brent Suter wound up giving up that home run to Hernandez in an inning. He winds up giving up that run, but Miguel Sanchez, who has actually been relatively solid for the Brewers, gives up two runs without recording an out out of the bullpen. Josh Shader, Devin Williams, Brad Boxberger all give you a score of saying to be able to get the job done for the Milwaukee Brewers. Staying out there in the National League Central, this is a team that's not getting the job done. The Chicago Cubs, 4-2, they wind up losing to the Kansas City Royals. This is a bunch that I believe ever since their combined no hitter is now 10 and 37, might be 10 and 38 in that time span. As Chris with the K Bubich, not a bad start, gives up two runs over the course of six and a third innings, surrendering a home run to Patrick Woodson, who all of a sudden has gotten hot again. His 20th home run season, his third home run in the last week, so he's been able to do his job. But then from there, Domingo Tapia gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Josh Shamout, Scott Barlow both give you a score of setting up for the Royals. No home runs in this one, and they go just one of 12 men in scoring position, but they were able to get to Mr. Keegan Thompson as he gives up two runs over the course of four innings in, I believe, his first career start. From there, Adam Morgan, Trevor McGill both give you a score of setting. Michael Rubker, he winds up giving up a run in an inning, and for Morgan, he actually did give up an unearned run. He was hurt by an error in the field by Robin Cicerino, so I think that he had some sort of an interference there. Cody Oyer and Manuel Rodriguez both give you a score of saying, and that home run for Patrick Wisdom, the Cubs' lone hit of the game. So they got two runs on one hit, and it was not enough. The Detroit Tigers did not get enough offense, as they got zero offense against the Toronto Blue Jays, 3-0. to zero. The Tigers wind up falling for Willie Peralta. Not a bad start. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings, including home run, and then Irasimo Ramirez gives up a solo home run in his two innings of work, going deep off of Mr. Ramirez. Marcus Simeon, 30th home run season, and Randall Gertrude gets his 21st, as Hunjin Ryu, seven scoreless innings, Tim Maza, Jordan Romano, they both give you a pair of scoreless innings, and for the Detroit Tigers, 0-3 with men in scoring position, they get six total hits, so not been going well for the Detroit Tigers recently after they wound up having that very, very bad game in which they blew a 10-2 lead against the LA Angels, so been a little bit rough there for the LA Dodgers. If you've been taking run lines with this team, it's been a little bit rough there as well. 4-3, they are able to get the win over the New York Mets, and this is a team that has now won 13 out of their last 14 games, but they have now won, I believe it's now 7 out of their last 10 games by one run, so they've certainly been doing it in close ones as they were able to get a big pair of home runs in the first inning to be able to help them out. 
you wind up having Albert Pujols go deep off of Rachel for his 15th home run season and Trey Turner down for what gets his 19th home run the campaign as Hill would give up three home runs in total in five innings. He just gives up those three solo home runs. The other one was to Chris Taylor, his 18th of the season. Then from there, Miguel Castro gives up a run without getting a single out as he issued three walks and a hit in his time span. But Jersich, Familia, Aaron Loop, Seth Lugo, they all give you a scoreless setting up for the Mets. They were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Pete Alonso is 28th home run in the season. And Matt Max Scherzer, who lies just five innings, gives up his fourth home run of the season to Brandon Nimmo as Scherzer gives up that home run. Just goes five innings, racking up on her three pitches, but he didn't give up too much. Blake Trying gives up the other home run, giving up two runs in an inning, but Justin Brule, Corey Knable, Kenley Jansen, all give you a scoreless setting up for the New York Metropolitans. This is a bunch of, they have now scored three runs or fewer, and I believe 12 out of their last 13 games. We'll talk about their offensive struggles a little bit later with our good buddy Danny Vietti. The San Francisco Giants come back again, and they get a win by a count of 6-5 over the Oakland A's. The Giants in this one wound up getting down by a count of 5-2. to two, And then they strike for 2 in the 7th, 2 in the ninth to be able to get the job done. Big home run in the ninth inning to be able to propel them from Lamont Wade. That comes off of Lou Trevino, 16th home run season. Earlier in the game, you'd have Andrew Chafin give one up to Brandon Belt, his 17th home run season, and Chafin will give one up to Darren Ruff, 14th of the season. And Chris Bryant issues his 22nd home run of the season. That one came off of Sean Manea, who gives up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. But if you're looking at Manea, team's not necessarily been too effective in his starts recently. He has now led the team to losing three out of his last four. And the one that they wound up getting a win in, he went one and two-thirds inning, so he's been regressing a little bit. Yasmeto Petit gives you four outside the bullpen without giving up a run. Jake Diekman, a scoreless inning, but Lou Trevino and Andrew Chafin give up a combined three home runs. Both gentlemen give up two runs in their inning of work, and for the Oakland A's, no home runs in this one as they go two of 11 with men in scoring position. They had their opportunities against Kevin Gosman, and Gosman certainly had a rough go of it. He gives up five runs in three and two-thirds innings, only two of which were earned. He was hurt by Wilmer Flores fielding error, but this Giants bullpen, top three of the big leagues with regard to ERA comes through again. Tyler Rogers, Dominique Leon, Jake McGee. I'll give you a scoreless saying. Jarlon Garcia, two and a third inning scoreless, and the Giants just continue their winning ways. They lead the MLB in record at 79 and 44. And if you took the over on their season wins, that is already cash for you. The Cleveland Indians were able to cash for you on Saturday, five to one. They wanted to take down the LA Angels. Reed Detmer is another rough start. He gives up three runs over the course of three and two-thirds innings. He's made four starts. He's given up at least three runs in now three of them. From there, you wind up getting two-thirds of an inning out of Mike Myers. He gives up a run in the process. Andrew Wants, one and two-thirds innings. Scoreless Steve Ciszek, though, he gives up a run without getting it out as Sam Selman had to come in for two innings of relief was able to do that scoreless, but the Angels only muster three hits in this one. Tristan McKenzie, how about the way that he's turning it on? Gives up two hits over the course of seven innings, so in his last 15 innings, he has given up a combined three hits, and this is a man that has now given up three runs or fewer in five out of his last six starts, two runs or fewer in four out of his last six. Brian Shaw, Emmanuel Classe, both give you a scoreless saying, and this is an Angels team that is scoring the second fewest runs per game in the American League ever since the All-Star break, and for the Indians, Amid Rosario, was able to get his seventh home run season, and Jose Ramirez was able to get his 29th. The Texas Rangers completely clobbered the Boston Red Sox, 10-1 the final in this one. Jordan Lyles, who wound up entering in this one, giving up 31 home runs overall for the year. He looked tremendous. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings, and then Dennis Santana was able to give you a scoreless inning, and Nick Snyder in his MLB debut, a scoreless inning as well. For the Rangers, they go 8 of 22 with men in scoring position, racking up 17 hits as Eduardo Rodriguez, not the start he was looking for. Gives up five runs in three and two-thirds innings, and it causes out of Mora, gives you an out of the bullpen, and you wound up having scoreless innings from Ansel Robles, 
Adam Adovino and Austin Davis, but Martin Perez not taking too well to being out there in the bullpen. He gives up four runs, two of which were earned over the course of an inning. Now, I will say, there was not one, not two, not three, not four, but five errors committed by the Boston Red Sox as you had Mr. Kike Hernandez, Ender Bogarts, Enzo Robles, Under Renfro, and Rafael Devers. All commit an error in this game, and Garrett Richards, he also gave up a run in an inning. But needless to say, a little bit of a calamity out there for our good buddies, the Boston Red Sox. This is a calamity for the St. Louis Cardinals. They wind up allowing a three spot in the seventh inning to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Pirates take them down by a count of five to four. This for a St. Louis Cardinals team that they were able to get a halfway decent start out of Jay Happ. Happ was not Appless. He does give up a pair of solo home runs, but gives up just two runs over the course of six innings. Going deep for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Yoshi Satsugo, his second home run in two games after he did not have a single home run with either the Rays or the Dodgers earlier this year. And Kevin Newman, he gets his fourth home run season for the Cardinals, though. It was Genesis Cabrera that gave it up, giving up three runs in an inning. Luis Garcia, TJ McFarlane both give you a scoreless thing, but for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Dylan Peters, not a bad start. Gives up one run over the course of five innings. Nick Mears, he does give up two runs while getting just two outs. Chad Cool now coming out of the bullpen, gave up a run in an inning, but Jason Shreve gives you a third of an inning scoreless, and then Chris Stratton and David Bernard pitch the eighth and ninth scoreless for the Pirates to be able to get a W. Another team that was able to get a W on Saturday, the Houston Astros, and they do so in very convincing fashion. 15 to 1, they clobber the Seattle Mariners. For the Mariners, good news is they were able to get some very super long relief out of Robert Duggar. Gives up six runs, five of which were earned in three and a third innings. He wound up just wearing this one as Logan Gilbert got destroyed. Gave up nine runs over the course of four and two thirds innings, including a pair of home runs and a six pot for the Houston Astros in that fifth inning as going deep for the Astros in this one. Jordan Alvarez, his 24th home run of the season. And then how about this? Second home run of the season out of Taylor Jones. So it was all over the place for the Houston Astros as they go six of nine with men in scoring position. So they were very timely there. Jake Odorizzi, he gave up a solo home run in his five and two thirds innings of work. Lone form of brightness for the Seattle Mariners was the fact that Mitch Haniger got his 28th home run season, but for the Astros as well. Phil Mayton, one and a third inning scoreless. Blake Taylor, Pedro Baez, both give you a scoreless inning. And if you're taking a look right now, the Seattle Mariners are 66 and 58 with a negative 65 run differential. To put that into perspective, the Detroit Tigers have 59 and 66. They've got a negative 63 run differential, so they've got a worse differential than the Detroit Tigers. So that really speaks to how lucky the Seattle Mariners have been this year. I wish I could say it any other way, but it is true. No luck needed in this one, though, for the Cincinnati Reds. They take down the Miami Marlins by kind of 7-4. to four. Zach Thompson, not a great start, not a terrible start. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings, going deep off of them for the Cincinnati Reds. Nick Castellanos, his 22nd home run of the season for Castellanos. He would get four RBI in this one, but for the Fish, a bullpen that has been relatively solid all year long, wound up failing them. Anthony Bender winds up giving up four runs in an inning. To put this into perspective, his ERA is now a 3.18. He entered into this game with a 2.44 ERA, and heck, he actually entered the week with a 2.28 ERA, so it's risen nearly a full point in this time span. Sean Gunther gives up a run in one and a third innings, and Austin Brook got the final two outs of this one for the Miami Marlins, but no home runs for them as they were able to get a little bit into Wade Miley. He winds up going four and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs in the process, but an improved Reds bullpen looked a tad bit better in this one. Michael Givens did give up two runs in a third of an inning, but Tony Santian gives you a scoreless saying Luis Sessa and Michael Lorenzen also combined for three scoreless. So the Reds all of a sudden are creeping up on the San Diego Padres in which they were able to have themselves a very interesting night out there. I will get to that in a minute after we look at a walk-off in the NL West 
by the Colorado Rockies. 5-2 the final for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallon pitched really, really well. He gives up nothing in seven innings. Punching out nine, gave up three hits in the process. No Ramirez, though. He gives up two runs in one inning. And J.B. Wendelkin gives up a three-run walk-off homer as Dalton Varsho, really the main form of offense for the Arizona Diamondbacks, gets his seventh homer on season off of Kyle Freeland as Freeland gives up two runs over the course of seven innings. And for Freeland, he has given up more than three runs just once in his last 10 starts after in his first five starts had north of a nine ERA. So the turnaround has been real there. Daniel Bard, Tyler Kinley, both give you a scoreless saying, but before the Colorado Rockies, Garrett Hampson went deep off of Noah Ramirez for his eighth home run season, and then Elias Diaz, 14th home run season, walk-off fashion. Arizona Diamondbacks had a 2-0 lead going into that bottom of the eighth, and they wind up blowing it to lose by three. The Arizona Diamondbacks just finding ways to lose, but I will say they actually entered into the series with the Colorado Rockies. They have been able to do a little bit better recently. A team that has been doing pretty well all year long. That'd be the Tampa Bay Rays, and they said, hip hip a raise to an 8-4 win over the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keiko got destroyed in this one. He was able to give the team five innings, but gave up six runs in the process, none of which were homers, but he was just getting pummeled with small hits. Mike Wright Jr., he winds going two and a third innings giving up two runs and Jose Ruiz was able to close out the game as Sebi Zavala had the lone home run in this game his fifth of the season that comes off of Luis Patino who gives up just two runs over the course of six innings his home and road splits are absolutely wild he's got an ERA hovering right around two at home on the road that's a 692 so you want to be watching out for that Chichi Chargua was able to give you a squirrel saying Lewis Head winds up giving up two runs in a third of an inning but Colin McHugh gets the final five outs of the game to be able to get the save as for the Tampa Bay race. They go 4 of 12 with men in scoring position, so they just had a whole bunch of guys being able to work as a unit to be able to get this one done. The New York Yankees seem to be working well as a unit as well. 7 to 1, they take down the Minnesota Twins as Kenta Maeda winds up having a terrible start in this one, giving up five runs over the course of four and a third innings. Lone home run came off of Ralph Garza Jr. as he gives up that solo home run over the course of two innings as getting his first career home run. That'd be our good friend Andrew Velasquez, who's actually been able to do quite a bit of something, especially out there in the field for the Yankees. And Garrett Cole, he looked masterful for the Yankees. Six scoreless innings. Lucas Lutke gives you two innings, giving up one run in the process, a solo bomb, and then Albert Abreu winds up giving you a scoreless end going deep for the Minnesota Twins. Ore Palanco is 22nd home run the season, and then they wind up having one and two-thirds innings out of Edgar Garcia, giving up a run in the process, but the Yankees have the best record ever since the trade deadline, and I believe ever since the All-Star break as well, so they certainly have been cooking with a little bit of gas. And I was mentioning a little bit earlier that the Padres were involved in a little bit of a harebrained game, and this certainly was. Aaron Supernola was pretty super in this one, but not enough. 4-3, to three, the Padres win in 10 innings against the Philadelphia Phillies, for Nola, might have been left in a little bit too long as he winds up giving up one home run over the course of his eight and two-thirds innings, going deep off of him in the ninth inning. Jake Cronenworth is 19th of the season. They extend the game into extras as getting the final out in regards to the ninth inning was Ian Kennedy and then Connor Brogdon gotten out in the 10th inning, but the Padres are able to win thanks to his walk-off wild pitch as earlier in the game Odubo Herrera got his 10th home run of the season. That winds coming off of Joe Musgrove as Musgrove gets a start, goes six innings, giving up one run, and then from there Danny Hudson gives up a run in an inning, Tim Hill gives up a run in a third of an inning, but Austin Adams got himself out of a good mess, and then Mark Melanson 
winds going for two full innings, not giving up a single run in the ninth and the tenth. So the Philadelphia Phillies wind up stranding nine men on base, go 0 of 9 with men in scoring position, and fall to 26 and 36 on the road. And if you're taking a look at trends in baseball in general, we have been noticing that home teams overall this year have had a relatively good go of it. They are now 1,015 and 828. That is a 55.1% hit rate favorites overall this year. They are 10,091 and 736. So they're winning 59.7% of the time. And if you're looking at overs and unders, unders have an 880 to 878 lead. So very slim there as over the last seven days, unders have been able to do a relatively solid job. 51 unders at 36 overs. So about 58.5% of games over the last three days have gone under in that time span. Home teams, 57 and 38, hitting at a rate of 60%, and favorites, 64.2%, 61 and 34 overall. And if you're looking at the last three days, home teams, they're winning about 55% of the time, 223 and 183. Meanwhile, favorites, they have gone 256 and 148, 63.5% there, and unders. 200 to 184 over the last three days. That is a little bit over 52%. So that's what we wound up seeing from Major League Baseball on Saturday. And that's what we're all seeing trend-wise in general. Now let's take a look at some of these big division races. Let's get the thoughts of Danny Vietti on some of these teams that are looking to claw their way into the postseason. We'll be gathering that next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to be joined by this guest as he is back in the continental United States after this man enjoyed some nice time out there in Europe. And good to see that he's got his phone back as it is Danny Vietti joining me on the podcast. Does absolutely terrific work over there with CBS Sports. He also does his own podcast, the Wake and Rake podcast that is with Will Middlebrooks. And you're able to find that podcast where we get this fine podcast. And to be able to follow that podcast, that is at Wake and Rake Pod. And to be able to follow Danny on Twitter, that is at his name, Danny Vietti. Last, last name is spelled V-I-E-T-T-I. And Danny, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. Great to be back in the States and baseball on the TV. Things are back to normal for me. Things are back to normal. And Something that is very normal is always having ups and downs when it comes to some of these baseball teams. And all of a sudden, the National League wildcard picture has gotten interesting. A lot of people thought it would be the San Francisco Giants that would have a fall off, but it's been the San Diego Padres recently losing series to the Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think we both agree that is not necessarily what you're looking for. Now, they do have a chance to be able to make up for it this weekend against a Philadelphia Phillies team that Let's face it, they have been much, much better in Philadelphia than they've been on the road. But what has really been the biggest issue for the Padres? Because even with Fernando Tatis Jr. out, this is a team that they've been able to do a solid job on offense. But we were all going into the year thinking that their starting pitching would be a strength. And the relief pitching has been amazing for this team. But they've just had literally Murphy's Law hit this rotation. You can make a thousand excuses for this team. They've had injuries. The bullpen, as you mentioned, has been fantastic, but they've been taxed for so long. They lead Major League Baseball in innings pitch, that bullpen does, and eventually, over time, it's just going to wear them out. And now you're getting to a point where their rotation continues to endure more and more injuries. You Darvish on the IL, Denelson Lamette still injured. Blake Snell's been very up and down all season long. So now, all of a sudden, you look at the rotation, they just added Jake Arrieta because they literally have nobody else available right now. 
So you have a rookie in Ryan Weathers, who's 21 years old. You have Joe Musgrove, who's been excellent, but then you got Blake Snell. I mean, so many question marks. Sure, you can make the excuse that they've had injuries, but look at Los Angeles, who are above them in the standings. Now, they obviously have the luxury of, no pun intended, of the amount of money, it just the amount of money that they're allowed to spend in that organization is second to none. And so they've been able to get guys like Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and they don't care about money whatsoever. But they've had a lot of injuries too. Cody Bellinger was hurt. Clayton Kershaw has been hurt. Trevor Bauer has been out for months now due to off-the-field issues. So the Dodgers have been able to withstand their injury concerns. The Padres have not. And frankly, the Padres have not done a good enough job against losing teams. If you look at their record against below 500 teams, they have about a 500 win percentage. When you compare that to San Francisco and Los Angeles, who are both above them in standings, Los Angeles and San Diego both have a win percentage over 700 against losing teams, whereas San Diego is about 500. So they haven't done their job. So you can make the excuse, sure, they've had injuries, but so has every other team in Major League Baseball. San Diego has just frankly not played well enough against the losing teams. And if you want to win a division, if you want to be a playoff team, you have to handle your business against the losing teams and win the games you should win. To your point, I believe that there's something like 9-4 and four against the LA Dodgers, and yet I have a losing record to both the Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks, which I don't know how that makes sense, but that's what the Padres are doing this year. As we do have Danny Vietti joining me on the podcast, and a team that is trying to track them down in the wild card, that would be the Cincinnati Reds. And on top of that, the suddenly surging St. Louis Cardinals, a Cardinals team that has been in the bottom three of the National League in terms of runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of June. Their trade deadline acquisitions, I'm not necessarily going to say, are going to be setting them to the promised land or anything like that, as they picked up Jay Happ along with John Lester, a pair of guys that, quite frankly, they're old. They haven't necessarily delivered a ton for this team, but I take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds, and I think that both teams can be very lethal because with the Reds, I love what they did at the trade deadline, being able to get Luis Sessa. They've been able to get some good innings out of Michael Givens. Lucas Sims coming off the injured list. That sure's up their biggest weakness in the bullpen. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is always just such a well-coached and well-managed team. And though they don't have that one guy that's going out there and giving you 50 bombs, Paul Goldschmidt has been much better recently, and they've got good just overall top-to-bottom talent in that lineup, and it seems like almost everyone is hitting right around at 250 for them, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, both those squads, the Reds and Cardinals, they're right on the heels of San Diego. When I think of Cincinnati, and I look at their lineup, and I look at what Joey Votto's doing and Castellanos, I just can't help but think, man, if they would have been able to pick up Trevor Story at the deadline and fill that shortstop position with a player like Trevor Story, it just would have added that much more depth and their lineup would have been that much more lethal. To their credit, they've been able to make a push even without getting a guy like Trevor Story. And Joey Votto has all of a sudden made himself into an NL MVP candidate. I mean, he's all of a sudden found his power once again after losing it for a couple of years. And that's been great to see. At this time of the year, everybody's kind of looking at the rest of the schedule, strength of schedule, who is going to have the easiest road down this playoff race. And San Diego has the hardest schedule remaining, strength of schedule, in Major League Baseball. Their opponent winning percentage is about 530 for the rest of the way. Whereas Cincinnati, they have the second worst or second lowest opponent win percentage. So they have the second easiest schedule remaining on, on, the, uh, on the schedule for them. So the games have to be played. Uh, games aren't win and lost. Just looking at the schedule, you can't put W's and L's on the schedule, but San Diego has an uphill battle where Cincinnati, they're going to have easier matchups because their division, frankly, isn't as good as the NL West. 
St. Louis mentioned their offense and they've been kind of up and down all season. I think they've actually been one of the more disappointing teams overall when you consider their expectations coming into this year. But Tyler O'Neill deserves a lot of respect and a lot more attention than he's received. Tyler O'Neill, 21 home runs, 47 ribbies, 274. But you look at his in-depth numbers when you actually look inside his exit velocity, his WOBA, his hard hit percentage, it's up there with some of the best players in the league. And then you add in his sprint speed too. He's in a 98th percentile in sprint speed, hard hit percentage. He's leading the league in hard hit percentage. Tyler O'Neill is a guy that hasn't gotten much attention. He really isn't the centerpiece of their lineup, but he has been a dangerous, dangerous hitter. And as he's coming along, so is that lineup. And as you mentioned, Paul Goldschmidt's coming along too. They didn't make any splash moves at the deadline, but they're right on the heels of San Diego. So them and Cincinnati, they're certainly making their push. And I'm so glad that you pointed out that these games are not played on paper, as we do have Danny Vietti joining me on the podcast, as he does terrific work with the Wake and Rake podcast, also over there with CBS Sports, because I thought that the Philadelphia Phillies at this time would be leading the National League East because I took a look at the schedule and it's like, oh boy, they've got a series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They should be able to take care of business here. Instead, the exact opposite happens, and they wind up getting swept. Shout out to the Diamondbacks, by the way, for actually winning a couple games recently. So good to see that they're still giving a good, honest effort. But when I take a look at the National League East, it is just a big, giant hodgepodge at this point. When we talk about strength of schedule, the Mets, they're currently in the grind of it. They had to go to San Francisco. They wound up getting their butts kicked in New York by the Dodgers. Now they have to play the Dodgers in Los Angeles, so it's a little bit tough for them. But if they're able to escape... Even going like one out of three in this current series with the LA Dodgers, I think that that would set them up for a little bit of success. And you take a look at the Phillies. I just can't trust this team away from home in Philadelphia. They look like a playoff team on the road. They look like they're a bottom five team in the league. And that leaves the Atlanta Braves, who I do think that if they're able to get just a little bit more out of some of their starters, this is a team that they are able to make that run just because we talk about the offensive firepower that some of these teams have. The Atlanta Braves are really second to none with regards to that. I'll come out here on the forefront and say I'm guilty of suggesting Atlanta should really just give up their season. As soon as Ronald Acuna was injured, I was like, just throw in the towel. He already had Mike Soroka go down with his second Achilles injury. He had a setback in his recovery. Max Fried was injured earlier in the year. Ian Anderson's on the IL. Like Things just haven't been going Atlanta's way. And so I looked at Atlanta and I'm like, this division is winnable. But are you really going to be fighting for a World Series? That question is still yet to be answered. But it is baseball and anything can happen. And now Freddie Freeman has all of a sudden turned it on. Ozzy Albies is one of the RBI leaders in the league. And their lineup, they were able to add some guys at the deadline. Now all of a sudden their lineup is lethal once again. So I should apologize to Braves fans because I told them to throw in the towel. And they have not. And they look like the best team in the NL East because... You just mentioned Philadelphia all of a sudden gets swept by Arizona. Now Philadelphia is going to be playing San Diego. Those are two teams in dire need, just desperate for victories. So that's one matchup that I'm really circled in on this weekend because somebody's got to win those games. The pitching matchups are kind of all over the place. Pitchers are kind of all over the place. There's a TBD circled in there. So yeah, the NL East is just a mess. The Mets too have just completely fallen off the table. And that shouldn't be too surprising considering this team just cannot get it done on offense. I was looking up some of their stats and some of their runs scored last night. They have scored three or fewer runs in nearly 50% of their games this season. So every other game, they're scoring three runs or fewer. And their starting rotation is phenomenal. Their bullpen is good. But if you can't score more than three runs a game, you're just not going to get anywhere in this league. So, yeah, Atlanta's looking like the best team in that division. But still a lot of games to be played. But right now, I think Atlanta 
is at least the most consistent of the bunch. And something I never thought I would say, the Mets bullpen has been one of their strengths so far this year. I don't know what world we are living in that that is the case, but that is 2021 in Major League Baseball. So it certainly has been fascinating. And I'm also really interested in the American League because what is really the race at this point is a wild card. And it comes down to these AL East race and it comes down to these AL East teams. Now, I do think that the Yankees are making a nice surge, but I don't think that they're going to be able to catch a Tampa Bay race. I think that they're pretty well set in the East. Even if they wind up losing the East, they'll find themselves in the postseason. Where it gets really interesting is Boston Red Sox, Oakland A's, Toronto Blue Jays. What happens with these three teams? I recognize that the Seattle Mariners still have a shot. I just think that at some point, all the one-run games that they've been able to win, it is going to catch up to them. But I take a look at what is happening out there in the American League, and I'm so intrigued because with the Oakland A's, they did wind up losing that series to the Chicago White Sox, but it felt like they were in it the entire way aside from that Chris Bassett game in which he gets drilled in the face, which that you just can't do anything about. That's a terrible situation. But I take a look at this race in general, and I still have a little belief that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to make that run and perhaps be able to make the postseason because they do have such a star-studded lineup even without George Springer. The problem with Toronto has nothing to do with their offense, and frankly, it doesn't have anything to do with their rotation either. After picking up Jose Abreu's rotation has actually been, I think they've exceeded expectations overall. It's really their bullpen that has just kind of been a disaster. The pickup of Brad Hand has not been a good pickup thus far, and they just don't have a whole lot of their guys in the back of that bullpen that they trust. As we come down here and we're inching towards September, you need a good starting rotation, you need a good bullpen, and then you got to play good defense too. And Toronto has not been the best defensive team this year. They're about middle of the pack to back end of the pack in terms of defensive runs saved and then errors accumulated by team. So they just don't do the little things. And I look at like Seattle, they have a really, really good bullpen. They play really good catch on defense, but they don't have as much star power like Toronto. So which of those teams are going to leapfrog their Boston or Oakland? It remains to be seen. And then you look at Oakland and Boston and you start comparing schedules in, in New York too. New York and Boston, with their strength of schedule, they're about the same. Their opponent winning percentage for the rest of the season is about 486. Whereas Oakland, they actually have the second easiest schedule. Them and Cincinnati are at the top. So Oakland has an easier road down the stretch when compared to New York, Boston, Seattle, and Toronto. But Boston and New York, I think those two teams are going to be battling each other because they still have teams to be played against one another. They're going to have to beat up on Baltimore, too, because... It sounds weird, but Baltimore could be a deciding factor in this wildcard race because although they're the worst team in Major League Baseball, or one of, if they can win a couple games against New York, if New York lays an egg, if Boston lays an egg, it could be the deciding factor in that wildcard race. Who would have ever thought that the Baltimore Orioles would be playing a role (laughs) in who does slash does not play in the MLB postseason, but... It certainly is going to be very interesting to watch what happens there. We've got a lot of great races that are going to be coming down to the bitter end. This next, I would say about five or six or so weeks as the regular season actually wraps up in the first week of October this year. And Danny, I know that you're going to be covering it every step of the way. You do great work over there at CBS Sports. You do your own podcast, the Wake and Rake podcast. You're able to find that wherever you get this podcast. And I know that you're a man that you just came off a fresh vacation, so... You are all rare and ready to go. You're all refreshed, and I know you're going to be doing some great work the rest of the year as well. So love the good people at home. Know what you've got going on in general and how they're able to follow along on social media and other platforms. I appreciate that, Greg. Yeah, as you mentioned, you can follow that all on cbssports.com. 
at CBS Sports MLB, and then also catch the Wake and Rake podcast. And you can follow all our social handles at Wake and Rake Pod. And Danny doing an absolutely terrific job just being able to cover a little bit of everything baseball. He is out there in California where we're seeing a lot of great baseball with all three of those teams in the NL West. The Oakland A's list goes on and on and it's always great to get Danny on the podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I'll give you a sign total on every game on the betting board. And a little something like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to get Danny Vietti of CBS Sports and the Wake and Rake Podcast on this podcast. So a big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday. And a little something like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScore81. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. And as of right now, the only team that I'm seeing with a TB determined pitcher is the Padres, so that should make things good as well. We do begin with 951-952 on the banking board. The Miami Marlins hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Vladimir Gutierrez going to be going for the Reds. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara is going to be on the bump for the Miami Marlins. Marlins between plus 127 and plus 140 underdogs on the red legs. Anywhere between minus 140 and minus 160 is your price. So on this game design, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is between minus 105 and minus 110. For Gutierrez, he has had himself a very nice year. And this is a Miami Marlins team that, well, let's face it, they haven't necessarily been able to generate a ton on offense. They have been able to get something out of Asus Aguiar, who going into this week, he was actually leading the National League when it came to RBI, which I find to be very surprising. He's been able to 265 and then got a pair of guys below him. Jazz Chislam, along with Lewis Brinson, ending right around 260. And Miguel Ross has been able to 275, but for Chislam, he's been able to give you right around 14 or so home runs. Aguiar, he entered into yesterday with 22, but past that, haven't gotten a lot out of some of these other guys now. Got quite a few guys hitting between a 235 and a 240. Jorge Alfaro, Mingolia Sierra, along with Brian Anderson. And then you got Brian De La Cruz hitting above a 320, but got a lot of guys with not necessarily a lot of pop. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, and Jesse Winker has been out for quite a while due to injury, but you still have Nick Cassianos along Joey Vato, a pair of guys that have been able to give you north of 20 home runs, a pair of guys hitting at least a 280 with at least a 370 on base. And Eugenio Suarez has been in and out of the fold, but he wound up returning to the team yesterday. Has 23 home runs, only hitting a buck 70, but certainly has been productive. Tyler Stevenson and Tucker Barner at the catcher spot. Both of these guys are hitting above a 260. And then you've got Taylor Naquin hitting right around 265 along Kyle Farmer. Now you take a look at this Reds bullpen. It certainly has been a little bit brutal for this team as they wind up using up Michael Givens, Michael Lorenzo, along with Luis Sessa all yesterday. But you still have a little bit of depth when it comes to this team. Lucas Sims is someone that has just come off the injured list, so... You should be able to give this team a little bit of something, and then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of this Miami Marlins bullpen. It has been one of the better ones out there in the big leagues, but once again, they didn't necessarily get a lot of length yesterday out of Zach Thompson, so Anthony Bender wound up having to get used up. Dylan Floro is someone that I do like for the team. They wound up trading away Yimi Garcia at the trade deadline, but I do think that it's essential that this team gets a quality start out of Alcantara, who deserves a little bit better than his 7-11 record. Now, you take a look at him on the road, 440 ERA compared to a 240 
3.43 ERA at home. Has given up nine home runs in 73 and two-thirds innings on the road and opponents. Hitting a 259 off of him compared to a 193 at home. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Gutierrez, and he has been very solid as a rookie for this bunch. Now, his ERA... 535 at home, 292 on the road. So you've sort of got the worst of both splits for both of these pitchers. And for Gutierrez, he's given up nine home runs in 33 and two-thirds innings. And opponents are in a 311. So you've got a little bit of this and that going on now with the Marlins because of their offensive ineptitude. I need more like a plus 145 to be able to take a shot on them. If you're looking at the run line of the Reds, find that anywhere between a plus 125 and a plus 130. I set this at plus 127. So at a plus 130, I'm willing to take a shot here on the Reds' run line. And when it comes to this total, I did wind up setting it at 9.1. So we're going to be going over with both of these pitchers not having the greatest splits in this matchup to go along with the Reds on the run line. 9.53, 9.54 on the bang board. The Washington Nationals hit the road face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser is going to go for the Brewers. Sean Nolan is on the bump for the Nets. Nets are finding themselves as big underdogs here. And we're between a plus 180 and a plus 190 with the Brewers finding them anywhere between minus 205 and minus 220. Total on this game is 9. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is between even and minus 105. With the Brewers, this is a punch in which they wound up having things get very interesting for them on Saturday, but they were, by and large, able to get the job done. You did wind up having to use up Josh Hader, but you take a look at this Brewers offense and Ever since the beginning of the month of June, this is a bunch that they're averaging right around 4.9 runs per game. I do like what they've done with this offense. Christian Yelich, he wound up getting a pair of home runs yesterday. So now he's got eight on the campaign. If that's the start of something good, that'd be massive for this team. You've got Avisail Garcia, who's hitting right around 275. He's given the team 24 home runs. Colton Wong at the top of the fold. He's hitting right around a 285. And then you've got the two big acquisitions in Rowdy Tellas, along with Willie Adamas. A pair of guys have been very good for this team. With Tellas, ever since he's come over to the Milwaukee Brewers, he has really been able to get things going. He is hitting as a Milwaukee Brewer right around 290. He has been able to supply six home runs in 35 games. Meanwhile, you take a look at Adamas, double-digit amount of homers ever since he got traded to Milwaukee, hitting right around a 290. So that's been good. Luis Urdias is hitting in the pocket of about a 250, and he really got things going in that Cubs series overall here in the month of August, hitting a 341 as well. Then you take a look at the Nationals, and you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Juan Soto, hitting above a 300. He has been able to go deep 19 times for this team, along with Josh Bell. So those two guys have been rock solid. Now, they are going to be kicking the tires on a St. Louis Cardinals outfielder in Lane Thomas that overall is hitting below the Mendoza line, but has actually been able to give the team a little bit of something in this series. You've got Alcides Escobar hitting a 265. Carter Keyboom is more around a 260. And Trace Barreda has been able to give you a little bit of something at the catcher's pop, but you do take a look at some of these guys for this Washington Nationals bunch, and you've got guys like Andrew Stevenson, Victor Robles, and company that are hitting below a 220. Now, I will say, they have been able to get a little bit of something as well out of Adrian Sanchez who has been able to step up. And the bullpen has not been too bad for this team. You didn't wind up using up Ryan Harper yesterday, but Kyle Finnegan should be good to go. Gabe Klobostas only won 15 pitches yesterday, so he should be able to lend a little bit of something. But you take a look at Nolan, and I can't think that you're necessarily going to get a bunch of length out of him. He's made one career big league start, and that wound up being a three-inning start against the Mets, and he wound up giving up four runs in the process. This is a gentleman in which, at the minor league level, he was a little bit more of a starter, but even then, he wasn't necessarily lending a bunch of length, and he's actually a former Milwaukee Brewer, so I find that to be a little bit fascinating. The Brewers were hoping that he would be able to blossom. He never really did. He's been really a career minor leaguer. Meanwhile, you take a look at Adrian Hauser. Got to question the length that he's going to give as well, as this is going to be his first start since August 3rd now. Prior to going on the injured list, he had allowed one earned runner fewer in four out of his last five starts. He was victimized by a couple unearned runs, but doing a good job of holding it down there. And this is a man that he has given up three home runs 
over the course of his last 10 starts. And overall, he has not given up a home run in each out of his last six. So he's done a good job of being able to reduce the long ball. And if you take a look at him at home so far this year, 316 ERA across 11 total appearances, nine starts. He has won 51 and a third innings. And opponents are right around 222 off of him. The four and a half walks per nine innings is a tad bit high, but I do think that the Brewers should be able to take it to Mr. Nolan and company. I want to saying the Brewers on a money line at minus 227. If you're looking at the run line, you're seeing that anywhere between a minus 105 and a minus 110. I was willing to take this with the Brewers at up to right around a minus 130, and I said this all at 10.3, so going Brewers run line along with this total over. 955-956 on the banging board. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates in the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright is going to be going for the Cards. Meanwhile, Stephen Brault is going to be on the bump for the Pirates. Pirates are finding themselves as big underdogs anywhere between plus 175 and plus 190. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, anywhere between minus 205 and minus 220. Eight and a half is your total with the unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. Since coming off the injured list, Stephen Brault has actually been pretty solid for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Three starts, a total of 14 and two-thirds innings, and he's allowed three runs, so he's got a sub-two ERA. Now, he has given up two solo home runs in that time span, but his last start, five and two-thirds innings against the Dodgers, he doesn't allow a single run, and the team winds up losing by a kind of two-to-one. And as a matter of fact, the team has given him a grand total of four runs of support in his three starts. Meanwhile, the team, in general, they have played all three games. The under, they have lost all these games, so they haven't necessarily been able to back him up very well. You take a look at this Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen, and it's actually not too bad. They did wind up trading away Richard Rodriguez, but David Bernard has been solved for the team. Jason Shreve, Chris Stratton, you're able to rely upon these guys. Nick Mears is someone that has been a little bit up and down, but it seems to be pitching a little bit better. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen, and you have been able to get Giovanni Gallegos and Genesis Cabrera online after they wound up having a rough go of it in July. TJ McFarland, he's got a sub-2-3 ERA. You've had Andrew Miller have his ups and downs He's a little bit of a veteran guy, but I still like what you're getting out of Alex Reyes. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. This team is in the bottom three of the National League in runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of June. They have been able to get a little bit more out of guys like Jay Happ and company to be able to help them out in the bullpen, but you just take a look at this team in general. You've got Lars Nujbar, Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmund, Nolan Arenado, all in between a 250 and a 260. Throw in there Harrison Bader as well, so you got a lot of guys sitting in that pocket. Umando Sosa has been able to give you a little bit of something. And then you've got Paul Goldschmidt, long time. Tyler O'Neill in between a 272 and a 280 for O'Neill. 21 home runs so far this year for Paul Goldschmidt. Right around 18 bombs with Nolan Arenado. He's been able to supply the boom. He has been able to hit for 25 home runs. Then you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates and right now it's just all about Brian Reynolds. This team has been the worst in the National League at being able to generate runs, but with Reynolds. He has been able to go deep north of 20 times. 300 batting average. Now, Yoshi Satsugo is very fascinating. He's got a home run in back-to-back games, but he hasn't been able to find it, whether he be with the Dodgers, Rays, what have you. It's been a rough go of it for him as he, along with Rodolfo Castro, Gregory Polanco, you're able to throw in there Kai Tom, guys like this that are all hitting a 220 or lower. They do get back Ben Gamble. He and Cabrian Hayes, who's been a little bit banged up, and Wilmer Defoe hitting between a 250 and a 260. But other than Reynolds and Mr. Gregory Polanco, who's got right around 11 home runs so far this year, nobody on the Pittsburgh Pirates roster does have a double-digit amount of homers. And then you take a look at Adam Wainwright. This is someone that has been so much better at home versus on the road. And this guy's a gamer. He's a veteran at home. So far this year, 279 ERA, 412 ERA on the road, but in 15 starts at home so far this year, he's only given up nine home runs in 100 innings. So right around 0.8 home runs per nine innings. Opponents are hitting a 223 off of him, and his strikeouts much better when he's been at home versus on the road. His strikeout to walk rate when he's at home is north of four. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be able to get a very good start out of Wayne 
right? And this is a spot in which I would be willing to take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates if it wasn't for the fact that the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals is so appealing. I'm finding that right around a minus 105 to a minus 110. I was willing to lay up to a minus 115 in this spot. So even though I don't necessarily see a big edge with the Cardinals on the money line, I do like this run line. I did wind up saying this still at 7.5 as well. So going to be diving under along with the Cardinals on the run line. 957, 958 on the main board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing those Sierras and the Diamondbacks. Taylor Widener is going to be going for the D-backs. 55 shades of John Gray is going to be on the bump for the Rockies. Rockies are finding themselves and we're between minus 172 and minus 180 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at your plus price with Arizona, that is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 162. 11 and a half to 12 is your total. On the 12, under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 11 and a half, over is between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. This is a fascinating spot because with Widener, he wound up giving a very good start coming off the injured list against the LA Dodgers, a game in which the Arizona Diamondbacks was able to win ever since then. It has not necessarily been so great for him. He is giving up right in the neighborhood about two home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done on the road at 338 ERA across seven starts. So not necessarily too bad, but has given up seven home runs in 32 innings along with that as well. Opponents are going to get 2 off of him whenever he's on the road, but you take a look at it recently and this is a gentleman that has given up at least five runs in three out of his last five starts. Then John Gray, he has been always a little bit better at home than he has been on the road and that's rung true so far this year. 327 home ERA, 469 road ERA. He's given up eight home runs in 63 and a third innings at Coors so far this year, but opponents are getting a buck 86 off of him. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a bunch of which they don't have a lot of masters on their team. Josh Rojas is the only guy on the roster with a double-digit amount of home runs so far this season. Now, you do have the Marte Parte of Quito Marte. He's been able to hit a 345 for this bunch. Paven Smith along with who I was mentioning a little bit earlier in Mr. Rojas, in between a 270 and a 285. But then you've got a whole bunch of guys like a Dalton Bar show. You're able to throw in their Nick Ahmad. How about a guy like a Drew Ellis. This goes on and on of guys are a below a 225 Josh Van Meter as well. Now Carson Kelly, Azrubo Cabrera, pair of guys hitting between a 245 and a 255, but then you take a look at the Rockies as a collective. They're hitting right around a 380 at home. You take a look at Connor Joe. He's hitting like a 350 at home and right around the Mendoza line of 200 on the road. Brandon Rogers at home, hitting well above a 300. Charlie Blackman, all but one of his home runs have come at Coors Field. CJ Crone has 21 home runs so far this year. 17 of them have come at home. Now with the Colorado Rockies, bullpen is on necessarily too terrific. You've got Yancy Almonte, who's got an ERA that's hovering right around nine. Lucas Gilbreth has been up and down. Taylor Kinley as well. But then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they're trying to turn converted stars like Jake Feria, Matt Peacock, and company into relievers. That's not working out. J.B. Wendelkin is actually a little bit of an upgrade for the bullpen. He comes over from Oakland, but Brett guys, he still has an ERA that's hovering right around 750, so I think that it's going to be bad news there. On the money line with the Rockies, I wound up saying them more like a minus 210 because this is a Rockies team with the third best win percentage at home of any team in the big league so far this year, and if you're looking at them on the run line, I'm finding it pretty much even money across the board. I was willing to lay a price here, so I'm going to wind up taking that, and when it comes to this total, I wound up saying it at 10.7 just because of the lack of mashers with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I'm going to be diving under with this total and I'm going to be looking at the Colorado Rockies. We move on to 959-960 on the betting board. The Salam Diego Padres are going to be playing us the Philadelphia Phillies. Kyle Gibson is going to be on the bump for the Phillies. It was supposed to be Ryan Weathers for the San Diego Padres. As of right now, it is to be determined. I'm sort of thinking that this is going to be a bullpen game for the Padres and this is a Padres bullpen that 
It has been getting used and used and used. So that's not necessarily what you want. The Padres bullpen has been used for the most of innings out there in the big leagues. If it is Ryan Weathers, he's got a nine ERA ever since the beginning of the month of July. It's not been going well for him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Kyle Gibson and ever since getting picked up from the Texas Rangers, it's been ups and downs. In his last two starts, he has allowed nine runs in 10 and a third innings. So he certainly has been seeing a little bit of regression with that regard. And his command has not necessarily been there as well. He has given up at least two walks in each out of his four starts with the Philadelphia Phillies, his strikeouts per nine rate that is right around a seven and a half. And he's backed up by a bullpen of the Philadelphia Phillies. That let's face it, it's not too great. Archie Bradley has been able to give you some good innings, but Aniel de los Santos has been very much not good for the team. Chase Anderson, they might be looking to in long relief, and it doesn't give you much relief, though. I will say Bailey Falter, JD Hammer, these guys are relatively rock solid. Then you take a look at the San Diego Padres lineup, and this is a bunch of which they are able to put runs up on the board, but they just seem to always do a bad job with men in scoring position. You take a look at Fernando Tatis Jr. 34 home runs so far this year, but right around two-thirds of his home runs have been solo shots. Manny Machado, he's been able to supply the boom. 22 home runs. He's hitting at 275, and along with him, you've got Eric Osmer, Aaron Supernola, along Jake Cronenworth. All guys hitting between a 270 and a 280. Will Myers has been able to hit right in the neighborhood of a 260 along Trent Grisham, so you've got a very good lineup there, but then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, and Bryce Harper has been able to do some nice things for this team. 411 on base. Out of his home runs, all but four of them have been solo shots, and he's got 23 on the season. Gene Segura is hitting a 3 Now you need a couple guys to pick it up with the batting average. Andrew McCutcheon, Brad Miller in between a 225 and a 235, but with McCutcheon, 335 on base, 21 home runs. You've been dealing with some injuries to JT Riumito. He was not in the lineup yesterday, but Odu Barrera wound up going yard. He has been able to pick it up recently, so I do take a look at this spot, and if it would be Ryan Weathers who would be on the mound for the San Diego Padres, I'd be setting them right around a minus 130 favorite, and I'd be making this total 8.8, so that means that an 8.5 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over 9 or higher, we'll be taking a look at the under, but obviously subject to a little bit of change if we don't wind up seeing weathers at all, so check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 on that one, 961-962 on the bank board. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing us the New York Metropolitans. Marcus Roman is going to be going for the Mets. David Price is going to be on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers are finding themselves, and we're between minus 190 and minus 210 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Metropolitans is anywhere between plus 169 and plus 1769 is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over anywhere between minus 105, minus 110. I want to make the Dodgers more round about a minus 165-ish favorite because with David Price in his nine starts, the team is just four and five. They haven't necessarily been able to get it going with him on the mound, and it's not that David Price has necessarily been too terrible, but he hasn't necessarily been able to lend a lot of length. He's won five and a third innings or fewer in every one of his starts, and you take a look at his last four actual starts because he wanted to make a long relief appearance in between there as well, but he has won four and two-thirds innings or fewer in three out of his last four. He's given up a little bit of hard contact, 1.1 home runs per nine innings out of the walks per nine. That's hovering right around two and a half. You're certainly able to live with that, but then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Mr. Marcus Stroman, and this guy's actually been better on the road than he has been at home. 275 road ERA, 297 home ERA. That is surprising considering the Mets have the best home ERA out there in the big leagues, and they struggle a little bit on the road themselves. He has given up, though, 10 home runs in 78 and two-thirds innings on the road compared to four in 60 innings at home. Opponents are just a 221 off of them. And then you take a look at the bullpen. Aaron Lupez may be able to do a very good job for the team. I do like what I'm seeing out of Seth Lugo, who was beginning the year on the injured list, has been able to find it a little bit more now with Jersic Familia. He wound up getting used up a little bit yesterday along with Loop and Lugo, but all these guys, 11 pitchers are fewer, so that's going to be able to help them out. And then you take a look at this Metropolitan team. They're still going to be without Javi Baez, who's out due to injury, but Pete Alonso has been able to do a great job for the team. 28 home runs so far this year. 
He, along with a cast of others, only in between, I would say about a 240 to a 260. You've got Jonathan VR, Dom Smith, Mr. Alonzo, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Jeff McNeil, all in that fold, Michael Conforto. He's been able to find a little bit of something. He wound up entering into the month of August, hanging right around the Mendoza line of about a 200. Ever since the beginning of the month of August, he's hitting a 300, so that is a little bit appealing. And Brandon Nimmo is hitting a 285. J.D. Davis has done a good job of being able to get on base as well. And then you take a look at the Dodgers, and you've got just about everyone who's able to get on base for you among their starters from yesterday. The only ones that do not have an on-base percentage is north of a 350. Obviously, the pitcher, Max Scherzer, Cody Bellinger, and Albert Pujols, who has a double-digit amount of formers. He's got 15 on the year, so got a lot there. He, along with Chris Taylor and Trey Turner down for what? All between 15 and 19 home runs. You've got Mr. A.J. Pollock, who's got 15 bombs as well. You've been able to get a lot out of Max Muncie, who's been able to go deep 28 times so far this year, a 400 on base. But with the Dodgers, your main concern with this team is the bullpen. Justin Brule is someone that they've been looking to for quite a few innings. Max Scherzer only wound up going five yesterday, so that meant that Corey Knable, Blake Tryon, and company wound up having to come out of the bullpen, so that is going to be a little bit of a tough situation there. And I do take a look at what you've been able get out of Marcus Roman in general, and I do think that he's going to be able to turn a good start here. I wound up taking the plus price here with the Mets. I was willing to take anything above a plus 165. When it comes to this total, set it at 8.4. So, going to be going under along with the Metropolitans. 963-964 was supposed to be the Yankees against the Minnesota Twins. That game's been postponed, so we move on. 965-966 on the bang board. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing against the Detroit Tigers. It is Mr. Drew Hutchinson who's going to be going for the Tigres. Steven Matz is going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays find themselves as substantial favorites. They are anywhere between a minus 224 and a minus 235. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price with Toronto, anywhere between plus 190 and plus 210. 10 to 10 and a half is your total. On the 10, over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 10 and a half, over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. When I take a look at Hutchinson, I have no idea why this guy is getting starts. He wound up having a relatively solid record with the Toledo Mud Ends, but his ERA was hovering right around four. He was giving up more than a home run per nine innings. His first start against the Cleveland Indians. He got five outs. He gave up six runs. Now, only two of which were earned, but he certainly did not look sharp there. Meanwhile, you take a look at Steven Matz. He has had his ups and downs so far this year, but He's given up two earned runs or fewer, and now four out of his last five starts, he has not given up a home run ever since he wound up making his start on July 23rd, so four straight starts without giving up a bomb. Walks can sometimes be a little bit of an issue for him, but he's only given out right around 2.8 per nine innings. You're certainly able to work with that. And this is someone that has actually been worse at home than on the road, but I will say, obviously, this team has been bouncing around quite a bit. Then you take a look at this Blue Jays lineup, and you've got a lot of guys that do an incredible job. They are without George Springer right now, but... Got a pair of guys in Teoscar Hernandez, Flagger, or Jr. hitting a 312. Hernandez, 22 home runs. You've been able to have Flagger or Jr. reach over 30 home runs. And Marcus Simeon now has 30 bombs. He's hitting a 270. Corey Dickerson, Lords Gurriel, along with Reese McGuire, all in between a 260 and a 265. Randall Gritchick has been able to supply 21 home runs for this team. Bo Bichette has been able to give you 20 plus bombs, 335 on base. Then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. They've got quite a few guys who are able to go deep for you as well. Robbie Grossman, Jonathan Scope, along with Eric Haas, all have been able to give you between 18 and 21 home runs. You've got Jameer Candelario with a 275 batting average along with Harold Castro with Candelario 355 on base. You've had a 350 on base from Derek Hill as well. And then Miguel Cabrera still in search of number 500. He's been able to ride right around 250 for this team. Really started to heat up towards the summer month. And with the Detroit Tigers, they entered into last week actually with the second best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. That has certainly dried up, but still 
Kyle Funkhauser is able to give you a couple solid innings. I do like what I'm seeing out of guys like Gregory Soto and Jose Cicerno as well. And then for the Blue Jays, Adam Simbers had his ups and downs, but seems like he's starting to clean that up. Tim Maza is fresh off the injured list. Trevor Richards has been able to give you some good innings. And Kirby Snead right now is a buck 29 ERA as well. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to pound around Drew Hutchinson. I think things might wind up stabilizing from there, but wound up saying this total at 10.8. As a result, I'm going to be taking this total over. And with the Blue Jays, I am more than willing to take this team on the run line. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 140, seeing this anywhere between minus 125 and minus 135. So we're going to be taking the Blue Jays on the run line to go along with this total over. 967, 968 on the backboard. The Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Eovaldi is going to be going for the Sox. Kobe Ellard is going to be on the bump for the Walker Texas Rangers. Total on this game is 9.5 over is anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. The under is anywhere between even to minus 105 with the Red Sox. Biggest favorite on the board. Anywhere between minus $3 and minus 315. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Texas, going to be getting them anywhere between plus 240 and plus 279. With the Red Sox, I thought that I made their run line substantial at right around a minus 155. I'm right now seeing everything at minus 160 or greater, so I'm actually going to be taking a shot here on the Walker Texas Rangers. Now, for Colby Aller, it has been a no good, very bad, terrible year. 310 record. He's given up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings, but his walks per nine is right around a 1.75. And take a look at him recently. Three runs or fear are given up in each out of his last three starts. Now, the deep ball is certainly something that is haunting him. He has given up at least one home run, and I kid you not, each out of his last seven starts, he has given up a grand total of 12 bombs in his last seven starts, but he also has not given up a walk this month in three starts. Meanwhile, you take a look at Nathan Eovaldi, and he's done a great job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. 11 home runs given up in 138 innings, but that is starting to dry up a little bit with him as well. He's given up six home runs over the course of his last four starts. The team is now one and four in his last five starts as well. The lone game that they wound up winning is when they wound up taking on the Tampa Bay race, and they wound up putting up a 20-burger, so that's very fascinating. And you take a look at Nathan Eovaldi in general. He has been able to do much better at home than he has been on the road. 324 home ERA, 502 road ERA, 6-3 record at Fenway, giving up three home runs in 86 innings, but has been, in my opinion, a tad bit lucky with that. You take a look at this Texas Rangers lineup, and it seems like they're starting to heat up a little bit. They're still averaging right around 2.6 runs per game ever since the All-Star break, but you have been able to get Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa going. This is a gentleman that has been able to give you a 262 batting average. Got quite a few slugs in the lineup, as you've got Nick Solak, Andy Ibanez, Jose Trevino, all guys in between a 220 and a 230, but you have to have Adolis Garcia hitting 245. He's been able to give the team right around 27 to 28 home runs so far this year. 70 RBI Brockhold. He needs to pick it up with the batting average. He, along with Yohel Pozo, are in right around the Mendoza line of 200, and then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. You have had quite a few guys in between about a 252 to a 260 for this team. Kyle Schwarber, Hunter Renfro, Christian Vasquez, Kike Hernandez, and with Schwarber. He hasn't hit a home run ever since coming off the injured list, but you got to figure that he's going to be able to give this team quite a bit of something down the home stretch. Alex Verdugo along with Rafael Devers, both hitting right around 275, 29 home runs for Devers so far this year. And then Xander Bogarts hitting right around 310, J.D. Martinez, north of 20 home runs, 290 batting average, but he'll also take a look at this Boston Red Sox bullpen, and got used up quite a bit yesterday. Enzo Robles, Garrett Richards, Adam Adovino, Hidakaza Satomoda, all gave you at least 15 pitches. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Texas Rangers, and Jordan Lyles actually gave them some very good lengths, so that means that guys like Casey Spencer, Patton, you're going to have Brett Martin, guys like this, they're all going to be available for this team, so I think that that is going to be very helpful. Now, you do have Garrett Woodlock for the Boston Red Sox, who's able to do a good job, and let's just face it, the Texas Rangers have been one of the worst teams in the league. They've now got Joe Barlow, their top reliever, in my opinion, on the 10-day injured list, but with that said, as long as I was getting north of a plus 265, I was willing to take a shot here on the Texas Rangers. 
Currently, I am seeing this at north of a plus 265, even a plus 280 in a couple spots as well. So I'm willing to take a shot here on the Texas Rangers. And I do think that this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game considering what we've all seen recently. Said this all at 10.7, so going to be going over along with the Rangers. 969, 970 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox hit the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Chris Archer, yes, the guy that the Rays wound up trading to completely fleece it. Pittsburgh Pirates. He is back with the race and he is starting this game. Meanwhile, Rinaldo Lopez is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox are finding themselves anywhere between plus 105 and plus 117. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Rays, anywhere between minus 123 and minus 126, 9 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. For Archer, he has not pitched much this year, and that's putting it very lightly. And you take a look at Mr. Ronaldo Lopez, and he hasn't necessarily been able to lend a ton of length, but at the same time, he has been able to do a relatively solid job in the small doses that we've seen out of him. Bucko ADRA, in his last start against the Oakland A's, it was his longest of the season. Five scoreless innings, and for that matter, he has given up one run or fewer in every one of the appearances that he's made this year with regards to earned runs. He wound up giving up two total runs. One was unearned against the Minnesota Twins a few weeks ago, but by and large, he has looked very good for the team. He has given up three home runs in his 25 innings, but has been able to do a good job of limiting contact in general. Meanwhile, for Archer, four and a third innings. Very small sample size from him so far this year. This will be the first time he takes him out ever since April, so we haven't seen him in quite a while, but you go back to that 2019 season because he pretty much missed all of the 2020 season, and he was not good with Pittsburgh Pirates. A 3-9 and nine record, a guy with a north of 5 ERA. They've been rehabbing him a little bit, and he's looked okay in it, but nothing to really elicit a lot of confidence, especially against a Chicago White Sox lineup that is in the top five of the big leagues when it comes to batting average on the road. You've got Jose Abreu along with Yohan Mancada and Andrew Vaughn only between a 254 and a 264 with Mr. Abreu. He has been able to go deep so far 25 times this year is 92 RBI. I believe that that leads the league. Eloy Jimenez is inning north of a three. He's giving you a home run every about 12 or so at bats. There are a couple guys that need to pick it up with this team. Daniel Mendek, Sebi Zavala, along with Jake Lamb. All these guys are hitting at 225 or lower. And then you got Brian Goodwin and Cesar Hernandez, both hitting at 230. But with Hernandez, 20 home runs so far this season. So got a little bit of something there. Luis Robert has been able to do a good job hitting well above a 300. And then with the Tampa Bay race, you've got a quadrant of guys that will be able to give you north of 20 home runs so far this year. Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows, Mike Zanino, and Nelson Cruz. With Meadows along for Lau, both of these guys in between a 233 and a 240. But both of these guys have in the neighborhood of about a 323 to as high as a 343 on base. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Joey Wendell as well. He and Randy Orozarena along with Nelson Cruz in between a 270 and a 276 with Orozarena. He has been able to do a nice job. Be able to supply a little bit of power as well. 16 home runs. Wander Franco selling so right around 260 and with the race. This is a bullpen that is very solid but JP Fireisen along with Pete Fairbanks still on the injured list so you're looking at guys like Lewis Head, Andrew Kittrich to be able to hold down the fort. Colin McHugh being back and being able to give the team some long relief is very good because I can't imagine Archer necessarily being able to go too deep into this game. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, their bullpen has been showing some deficiencies ever since they wanted picking up Craig Kimbrell. He hasn't necessarily been himself. You still have Liam Hendricks out there in the bullpen. Jose Ruiz wound up getting used up yesterday, but only for eight pitches. He has been relatively solid, and Michael Kobach is able to lend some endings as well, but I take a look at this spot. I just have no faith in Chris Archer. I really don't know what we're getting in general, so I wound up making the White Sox a very slight favorite in this spot at a minus 105, and when it comes to the total, I wound up setting it relatively out at a 9.3 because I think that Lopez is 
sample size is very small. I think that Archer gives up a run, so we're going over along with the White Sox. 971-972 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners hit the road face off against the Houston Astros. From Valdez is going to be going for the Astros. Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the Mariners. Mariners are underdogs of anywhere between plus 155 and plus 162. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Astros, we're going to be getting that anywhere between minus 171 and minus 189 is your total. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even a minus 105 for Anderson. I believe that three out of his four starts ever since he wound up getting traded to the Seattle Mariners have been against the Texas Rangers. So that 291 ERA over the course of his starts with Seattle, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into that. Overall, he's got a 410 ERA when he has been away from Pittsburgh so far this year. The ERA is hovering right around a 490. In 12 starts away from Pittsburgh, he has given up 9 home runs in 68 innings. An opponent's hitting right around 252 off of him. Then you take a look at Mr. Valdez. This is someone that has been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to hold down the four three runs of fear. Given up in four out of his last five starts. He's given up seven home runs in 91 innings. The walks per nine of 4.1. That is a little bit concerning, but you take a look at a home and road relatively the same. 315 home ERA, 318 road ERA. He's given up just three home runs in 45 and two-thirds innings whenever he's been at home, though, so that is something that is relatively solid. Now, the Astros, that offense is even more solid, as you've got a team that wound up putting up 15 runs yesterday. Michael Brantley is hitting well above a 300 along with Yoli Gurriel, and heck, Elamendi Zias hitting right around 300 as well with Gurriel. Only about 13 home runs, but then you take a look at Chaz McCormick. He's been able to give this team a double-digit amount of homers. He's now hitting at 260. Carlos Correa, he has been able to go deep 19 times. He's hitting at 275. Jose Altuve, north of 25 home runs. He's hitting right around a 280 for this team. Heck, you've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Jordan Alvarez, who's got 24 home runs as well. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Ever since getting to Seattle, you've got Abraham Toro, who's sitting in the neighbor about a 290-ish. Got a lot of guys that they need to pick it up with the batting average show. Kyle Seager, Jake Bowers, Jake Fraley, Lewis Torrance, Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Ode Mama Lois. You're able to throw in there even someone like a Tom Murphy, all these guys are in a 220 or lower now. I will say, with Seager, he has been able to go deep 27 times so far this year. Mitch Haniger, 255 batting average, 28 home runs. J.P. Crawford is hitting a 270, a tie France, a 290. And I will say, for the Seattle Mariners, bullpen has been, by and large, relatively solid. Paul Seawalt has been able to give you a little bit of something. Robert Duggar wound up coming in and just ate it. He gave the team three and a third innings out of the bullpen. So, that means that someone like Keenan Middleton, Anthony Machevich, you're able to throw in there. Johan Ramirez, all these guys are going to be solid for this game. Drew second rider, Eric Swanson, both guys, but south of a 2-5 ERA as well. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of the Seattle Mariners, but I'm willing to lay in this spot with the Astros up to a minus 177 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Astros, you're finding that at a little bit of a plus price. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Any plus price on the run line was going to put me on the Astros in this spot. So I'm going to be going with that Astros run line, and I wound up setting this all at 9.2. So going to be going over along with that run line. 973, 974 on the main board. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing with the LA Angels. Jose Suarez is going to be going for the Angels. Cal Quantrill is going to be on the bump for the Indians. Indians are finding themselves in between minus 127 and minus 138. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Angels. Between plus 110 and plus 128, 9 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 110 for Jose Suarez. It has been trials and tribulations ever since he got thrusted into the starting rotation. This is someone that coming out of the bullpen at a buck 98 ERA so far this year as a starter. The ERA balloons to right around 6. So it has not necessarily been going well with that regard. He has been getting lit up a little bit recently, giving up at least three runs, and now four out of his last five starts. His last start was probably his best against the Yankees, giving up two runs over the course of five innings, but still, it has been a little bit tough for him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Cal Quantrill, and he has given up three runs or fewer in all of his starts, really, ever since the beginning of the month of July. He has went 
nine straight starts, giving up three runs or fear, and he's been able to keep down the deep ball as well. He has given up one home run so far in four starts in the month of August, so he's done a nice job there. Not necessarily a guy that's going to give you a ton of swing and miss, as he's got 80 punch outs in a little bit over 102 innings, but still, you take a look at what he's been able to do at home. 281 ERA across long relief appearances and starts, as a lot of opponents say, just at 234 in that time span, and for the Cleveland Indians, you do have Emmanuel Classe, who's able to come out of the bullpen, do a solid job. They are without Nick Sandlin right now, but Ryan Shaw who wound up getting used up yesterday, but only for 11 pitches. Should be able to give the team a little bit of something. James Karinczak seems to be stabilizing as well. Then you take a look at Jose Ramirez along Framel Reyes. Both of these guys have been able to do a great job of going deep. Ramirez, 29 home runs. Framel Reyes, more like 23. Both of these guys are in between a 250 and a 260. And then got a couple other guys that have been able to get on base as well. Miles Straw, 275 batting of Amir Rosario, more like a 285. Bradley Zimmer, along with Ernie Clement, both in between a 234 and a 245 as well. Now, Owen Miller, Austin Hedges, Yu Chang, some of these guys need to pick it up with their sub-200 batting averages. And then you take a look at the LA Angels and Shoyu Otani has three home runs over the team's last 15 game, so that has been a little bit rough for them. You've got David Fletcher inning in the neighborhood of about a 300 for this team. They've had quite a few guys be able to give you a little bit of something with regards to getting on base with Jose Iglesias, Jared Walsh, Max Sassy in between a 262 and a 274 and for Walsh, north of 20 home runs, but ever since he wound up having his all-star game appearance. He really hasn't been able to go deep for the team. Jack Mayfield, seven home runs since the beginning of the month of July, but has been tough sliding for him recently as he and Joe Adele, both ending at 215 or lower for the Angels. You are able to trust in Rossi Iglesias at this point, but this is also a team that ever since the All-Star break, third fewest runs per game in the American League. Austin Warren, Andrew Watts, as young guys have been relatively solid, but Jose Quijada, Junior Guerra, guys like this have not been good out of the bullpen, so I do take a look and I do think that Cal Quantrill is a guy that should be a relatively sizable favorite in this spot. Wound up saying him as right around a minus 155-ish on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, I'm finding that between a plus 140, even as high as a plus 145, I was willing to take this north of a plus 125, so I'll take a shot on that run line. Also wound up saying this all 8.3 with the recent struggles of the Angels, so going under along with that Indians run line. 975, 976 on the main board. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing OC and Landa Rays. Dookie Toussaint going to be going for the Bravos. John Means, hopefully he means business as he goes for the Orioles. The total on this game is 10. Overs between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Atlanta Braves, going to be getting them anywhere between minus 151 and minus 160. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Orioles. Anywhere between plus 135 and plus 150 for means. Ever since he wound up coming off the injured list about a month or so ago, things have been very tough sliding from. And in general, things have been very tough for the Baltimore Orioles as this is a bunch that all of a sudden they are riding a 17-game losing streak. Now, they have been able to get a little bit of something on offense that hasn't necessarily shown through in this series, but you've got Trey Bobo Mancini, Ryan Moncastle, along Cedric Mullins. All these guys have been able to give you at least 21 home runs so far this year with Mullins along with Trey Bobo Mancini, both in between a 255 and a 265. And then you've got Roman Odias who's hitting right around 265 as well. A lot of guys hitting between a 230 and a 240 as well. Austin the kid, Anthony Santander, Pedro Severino, and then Mullins is hitting right around 310 for this bunch. But then you've got guys like Ryan McKenna, Domingo Leyva, Richie Martin, Mikel Franco, DJ Stewart, only at 215 or lower for this bunch of for the Baltimore Orioles. They did wind up using up Cole Solzer along with Tyler Wells yesterday, two of their more trustworthy relievers. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Tanner Scott, but now you're going to be relying upon guys that you really don't want out of the bullpen. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that their bullpen ERA has been in the top 10 in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They did wind up having to go to Richard Rodriguez, Tyler Madzik, Luke Jackson, and Will Smith yesterday, but you're still going to have a couple guys that you're able to rely upon. And the most reliable thing about this team is their lineup. Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, 
How about a pair of guys that have north of 25 home runs and a pair of guys hitting right around a 300? Ozzy Albies, he's been able to give you north of 20 bombs. He and Dansby Swanson in between a 255 and a 270 with Swanson being able to provide 24 home runs. Adam Duvall doesn't necessarily have great batting average, but he has been able to give the team 27 home runs as well. And for the Atlanta Braves coming out of the bullpen, got to figure that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of someone like Jesse Chavez, even and Edgar Santana. You're probably going to need it because with Tuki Tucson, he has been a little bit up and down. First two starts of the year were very good. You take a look at what he's done recently, though. He has given up at least two runs in each out of his last four starts and at least three runs in two out of his last three. The big thing with him is a home run ball. He's given up a home run in each out of his last five starts, seven in total over the course of his last five. He's also been walking quite a few guys so far this year. His walks per nine rate is right around a three-ish, but that's really manifested itself recently as he's given up at least two walks in each out of his last four starts. Then you take a look at Mr. John Means and Boy, oh boy, he wound up having a tremendous start to the year, but now he's given up at least four runs in three out of his last five starts. You take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of July. He wound up posting up a 509 ERA and has a 743 ERA here in August. Prior to the month of June, in which he wound up having just one start in May and April, his ERA was hovering right around two. He wound up throwing that no-hitter that almost should have been a perfect game. And the big thing for him, he's given up the deep ball. He's given up two home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine is right around a 1.5. An opponent's throwing a 223 off of him, but everything that he's giving up is very hard contact. That's not necessarily what you want against the Atlanta Braves, but with that said, you don't necessarily want a lot out of Tuki Tucson either. I was willing to take a shot on the Orioles as long as I was getting north of a plus 140. We're right now seeing this as high as a plus 150. So I'm going to take a shot here on the Baltimore Orioles. I also wound up saying this all at 10.1. So going over along with Baltimore. 977, 978 on the betting board is my New York Post play that has the Kansas City Royals are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Alec Mills goes for the Cubs. Carlos Hernandez is on the bump for the Royals. Royals are finding themselves anywhere between even money and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Cubs, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. The only place that has a number up on this total is Westgate. That total is 9 over is minus 120 and the under is even. The books like to wait until the wind is a little bit more known before putting up the total, but I'm seeing the wind blowing in just a hair. It's not necessarily going to be too much, but what I'm saying, the soul at 6.8, I think that we're going to have a good pitching matchup here. And my New York Post for the day, because I really can't write up a total in Wrigley Field not knowing the win situation, but I'm going to be going with the money line of the Kansas City Royals. I really like what I've seen out of Carlos Hernandez. The team is 3-1 in his last four starts. He's been able to do a good job of being able to limit a little bit of everything because in his first couple of appearances of the year, he wound up having a walk rate of 6.7 per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done recently. He has given up a combined four walks in his last four starts in that time span. Over his last four starts, he has given up a combined six runs and has given up one runner fewer in three out of his last four. And you take a look at the flip side for Alec Mills. He has been able to do a relatively solid job at Wrigley Field, which is why I'm so low on this total because he's got a 306 ERA, 4-1 record in Wrigley Field, giving up four home runs over the course of 35 and a third innings. But this is also a guy not giving you a lot of swings and misses. Right now, he's giving you right around seven punch outs per nine innings and opponents are a 281 off of him. You take a look at this Kansas City Royals bunch. You've got quite a few guys that do a good job of being able to put the ball in play and they do a good job of being able to avoid strikeouts. Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, you're able to throw in there. Enzo Alberto, all guys hitting between a 265 and a 280 with Mr. Salvador Perez. How about 32 home runs and 80 RBI for him? He has been tremendous. You've got a couple guys that are hitting a little bit above a 245. Emmanuel Rivera, you're able to throw in there. Andrew Benatendi as well. And then you've got Michael A. Taylor hitting right at a 240. And then for the flip side for the Chicago Cubs, this is a team that they've been dealing with not having Wilson Contreras out there. Robinson 
Torinos has been able to hit a 260 for this bunch, but you take a look at it. David Bodie, Jason Award, Michael Hermosillo, Ian Happ. These guys are all hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, along Sergio Alcantara. Now, Rafael Ortega and Frank Schwindel both hitting above a 300 ice, but you also take a look at this Cubs bullpen. Ever since the all-star break. They have an ERA that's hovering right around 6. You're not able to rely upon any of these guys at this point. Trevor McGill, Ryan Messenger, Manuel Rodriguez. You're able to throw in there. Rex Brothers. These guys have not been good. Meanwhile, for the Royals, this is a team in which you don't necessarily have a ton of trustworthy bullpen arms, but you take a look at the guys that they wound up using yesterday. Domingo Tapia, along with a guy like a Scott Barlow and Josh Shema. All were used for 11 pitches or fewer. Jake Brents is someone they like. Wade Davis has been just over the hill for quite a few years, so that's not great, but they bring in Joel Payampas. He's got right around 260 ERA so far this year, so I think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of him. I like the way that Hernandez has been able to pitch recently, with Alec Mills being such a pitch-to-contact guy, and the Royals being a team that does a solid job of not striking out. I think that this is a bad matchup for them. Like I said, with the win situation and both of these pitchers in general, I'm going to be diving under on this total. And the New York Post play of the day, because I thought that the Royals should have been more like a minus-125 favorite, I'm going to be going with the Royals on the money line with a New York Post pick. And the final game on the betting board is out west. 979-980 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants hit the road to phase off against the Oakland A's. Frankie Montas going to be going for the A's. Logan Webb is going to be on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. Have we not learned our lesson with Logan Webb? Because we're getting them anywhere between minus 110 and a plus 102 on the Giants. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Oakland A's, anywhere between minus 108 and minus 112, 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even a minus 110. On the 8, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. I wound up saying Logan Webb as a pretty good size favorite here at minus 140. I'm very surprised that bookmakers are not adjusting on this because with Logan Webb, he has been absolutely amazing for this Giants team. He has given up two runs or fewer in each out of his last 11 starts in that time span. The San Francisco Giants are 10 and 1 in his starts. He's doing an absolutely superb job of being able to limit contact, giving up right around 0.8 home runs per nine innings, 2.6 walks per nine, his strikeouts per nine. That is hovering right around a nine and a half. Meanwhile, you take a look at Frankie Montas and what he's been able to do. Oakland. Far from great. 440 ERA at home. Meanwhile, 364 on the road. 4 and 6 in Oakland. 71 and 2 thirds innings. Has given up 8 home runs and opponents are getting a 272 off of them. Now you take a look at this Oakland A's bullpen and by and large it's been pretty solid but they wound up yakking it up yesterday. Sergio Romo is someone I do like ever since the beginning of the month of June. A sub 2 ERA but Lou Trevino, Yasmeno Petit wound up both coming in for 20 plus pitches. Now Deolis Carrera has been able to give this team a tad bit of something and then you take a look at the Oakland A's lineup and You've got Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte leading the league with 37 stolen bases. He has been very solid all year long. He has been able to give the team a 315 batting average. And they've got quite a few guys getting on base with him as well. Matt Olson, you're able to throw in there. Mark Hanna and Tony Kemp all between a 360 and a 375 on base with Olson north of 30 home runs so far this year. And behind him, the power is pretty balanced. I do like what you've been able to get recently out of Matt Chapman. He has been able to give the team 19 home runs, and he is really on pace to have a big month so far this month. Now, only hitting about a 225 for the year, but also a 320 on base. And then you've got Seth Brown, the now on the list of guys I want to be using PEDs, Ramon Laureano, Sean Murphy, Jed Lowry, Mark Hanna, all giving you between 12 and 16 home runs. So you've been able to have a little bit of something there. Mitch Moreland, I would expect a little bit more than 10 home runs, but he's used a little bit here and there. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, and Chris Bryant has been doing an amazing job for this team. Overall, 22 home runs so far this year, but came up with a big one yesterday. And you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, and their home runs are all spread out. You've really got nobody other than Bryant with more than 19 home runs on this team. As you've got Mike Yastrzemski, Brandon Crawford, both at 19. Brandon Belt has 
has 17. Lamonte Wade has 16. All at 15. Wilmer Flores, Buster Posey. Darren Ruff has 14. Austin Dickerson has 13. Evan Longoria has 10, but that's an 173 at-bats as well. With Longoria, he's hitting at 290. You've got Brandon Crawford hitting above a 300 long with Buster Posey as well. Lamonte Wade and Flores are both hitting right around at 250 as well, so I absolutely love this offense. And with the San Francisco Giants, the bullpen has been very solid for this team. Jarlon Garcia wound up getting used up for two and a third innings, but you could have Tyler Rogers along Jake McGee come back in this one. I do like what I've seen out of Jose Alvarez as well, so I take a look at the spot. I think that the Giants should be a pretty sizable favorite, and then I wound up saying the solo 8.2 as well with the way that Logan Webb has been pitching, so I'm going to be taking one of these eight nafs under personally to go along with the San Francisco Giants on the money line, and that'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Sunday. A big thanks to Danny Vietti of CBS Sports and the Wake and Rake Podcast for joining me in the live segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any questions, comments, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, one of two ways we all further send. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's 41. Keep in mind, letters here. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into the comments box of that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 